The UAW's new president, Bob King, has hit the ground running. Earlier this week, the union, together with Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Push Coalition, kicked off a campaign for jobs, justice, and peace. Even more specifically, the UAW is targeting Toyota for its upcoming organization effort, including holding protests at Toyota dealerships around the country. And while that has garnered a lot of headlines for the union, is it enough to ensure its long-term viability? After all, at least half the manufacturing jobs in the American auto industry are now with the foreign transplants and with non-union suppliers. Well, to get a clearer understanding of what's going on, I've asked three experts who follow labor issues to join me for today's discussion. Sean McElinden is with the Center for Automotive Research. Robert Sheravelli is a consultant with the firm Strategic Labor and Human Resources, LLC. And Joe Sesney is with the Oakland Press. This is going to be a good and important discussion. So don't go away. We'll be back right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this edition of AutoLine Detroit, where we're going to be talking all about the UAW and where it is going now and in the future. And joining me this morning is Bob Sheravelli from St Strategic Labor and Human Resources. Great having you here, Bob. Thanks. Also, Sean McElinden from the Center for Automotive Research and Joe Sesney from the Oakland Press. Great having all of you here. Okay, we've all been watching the UAW. It's gone through enormous change, really almost as big a change as the Detroit Three automakers have Absolutely. gone through. Where do you guys see this thing going? What's the union status going forward? Is, is this a mortally wounded union that's not going to survive? Is it just going to limp along and continue as it has, or is it poised to grow again? Well, maybe I'll just weigh in first. Their membership is very, very low. Eons ago, when I used to work there, where they were approaching 1.2 million, now they're at 350,000, and the question is, can the union exist at that level? And when I'm asked that question, oftentimes I say, sure, but they're going to get rid of a lot. They're so tied to the auto industry that when that goes down, they go down with it. So what kind of union will they be? Well, my, my bet is that they're going to survive, but it's going to be a heck of a lot smaller, and they're going to be looking at different ways to increase membership. Yeah, Bob King said during the convention that one of the things he wanted to do was diversify the membership base. But they're still heavily wedded to the auto industry. I mean, there's no way they can get around it. And so thus, one of the things he, he uh, stipulated that he was going to go after Toyota uh, to try and organize that, which is kind of a gamble for him because otherwise, if he misses, he's going to make the union look weaker again. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen there. Well, I, th I, I think they're still above break even, and it's even at 355,000. I, I, so we shouldn't panic too much. We're at record low, 30-year low production levels that will recover in the next two or three years. Right, um, and add members. And uh, we're at capacity utilization rates already we haven't seen in years. Um, I think they're going to add tens of thousands of members uh, that will be second tier, many of them. Uh, you know, for a while. Second tier in terms of working at suppliers, or are you talking oh, about no, no, the, no. the sub-wage, sub the two-tier wage? The new two-tier agreement will make it fairly easy for our companies to bring people back. But you um, have to consider that the suppliers are really where the game's going to be played. I mean, you know what the multipliers right. are on the employment, and what they have there is a completely changed market where you have a supplier that is so attached to one auto company, they can bring the cost down to zero. They can do everything with productivity. That platform goes down, and it doesn't matter. 
And when you look at the supplier base, you're looking at 20, 25 different international unions that are spread out. If you look at 1950, almost 100% of suppliers were unionized. Today, if you add in the transplants, it's probably 10%. If you take the transplants yeah. out, it's probably something south of 25%. Any mistake there is going to be a big mistake. Although the union has, I, 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 uh, there were a couple of stories they told um, recently that I was impressed with the fact that uh, they had gotten back into Dana. They had used some different uh, tactics to get back into, and Dana is now about 90% unionized, where before it had been very, very low unionized. And they had used some clever tactics to win a new contract and force uh, Daimler to bring truck work back into the United States. And I thought those were... Uh, I, I thought they showed a little bit of imagination in both campaigns in that case, which I think probably be, I think King would like to promote now going forward. Many of these supplier jobs used to be inside of the big three and were UAW jobs. They were mm -hmm. outsourced. Right. And the point of the second tier wage agreement was to compete directly with these supplier jobs. You know, another positive point is that the dollar is at historically low levels. And so a lot of imported automotive parts aren't as competitive as they once were, certainly not from Japan or and possibly some other countries very soon. Those are good points. Uh, one thing that scares me is over 50% of the parts being shipped uh, in the U.S. today from component plants, suppliers, are from foreign-owned auto suppliers right. who are historically uh, you know, opposed, obviously, to the UAW. And it's going to be tough to organize those plants. Well, even if you consider the American ones, I don't see anybody, any of them warming up to the UAW and saying, come, in, come on in unless they have a partnership agreement, right. some kind of neutrality agreement, and unless the UAW thinks about how they're going to present themselves to any of these non-union places, that is, we can bring productivity, we can bring safety, we can bring quality. If they go back to the old, uh, old game, like they showed that sure. they were going to do a Toyota, right. they're going to be in trouble. And I don't know about you, but the last time I was at the dinner table, there were two generations ago that we were talking unions, labor relations. Right. I think that's probably the biggest problem is that the culture, the culture in the United States has shifted so much that it's, there's not a lot of sympathy for unions in the larger culture right now. And I think that's one. Not of the even amongst uh, working class people. No. Yeah, but there is more sympathy in Washington. Obviously, there is now a democratically, um, Democratic majority NLRB. Uh, they're not going to get the new bill they want, but there's a very sympathetic administration. Uh, these are things they certainly didn't have to work with uh, for years. In a more sympathetic NLRB, a National right. Labor Relations Board. Now, the other thing that you have to watch, and I think this is going to be interesting as it plays out in Mississippi, Toyota recently announced that it's going to reopen the plant in Mississippi. My guess is, and I think it's a good one, is that nobody will make more than 12 to $14 an hour there because Toyota is bound and determined to try and lower its wage costs. Sean, you did a study recently that showed that the big three are catching up. You don't think that didn't go unnoticed in Tokyo? Well, before Saida left, the Japanese head of North America in Toyota Manufacturing, he said we're, our goal is to pay 30% above local regional um, average for manufacturing. We want to be the top wage payer, but we don't believe in a national wage rate, like out of Georgetown or something like that. So. We're probably talking 17 to $20 an hour. Mm. We'll get them the best labor in half of Mississippi until they hit Nissan or something. And obviously, that's well below the wage rate they're paying. In their and certainly, the, the full-up cost yeah. has to be at or below $30 mm -hmm. an hour. Because right. after that, they're going to have all different kinds of problems. Right. And if you, the last time you look at you at uh, Toyota, right. their average age is, what, 42, 43 years old. They're starting to think about some legacy benefits. That is where potentially the UAW is going to be able to address the needs of that uh, constituency at, at Toyota. 
you know, a little while ago it was 32 years old. They weren't thinking about pension. They weren't thinking about this stuff. Well, for Bob, the plan is Georgetown. The big three have agreed, the Detroit three, have agreed that's the parity plan. Uh, the, and the there is a Georgetown, a, Kentucky plan George, for Toyota. Complex. Mm-hmm. complex. Uh, they signed a parity agreement with GM and Chrysler as part of the bankruptcy plan that said that they can't ask for improvements, uh, you know, that are higher than, you know, the uh, transplant, uh, you know, labor cost uh, and without the use of an arbitrator, okay? Mm-hmm. They have to actually uh, go to that to get any kind of an improvement. So for Bob to get these concessions uh, overturned, and he, he referred to this in his speeches, okay, at the convention in a different way four or five times. He actually has to drive up Georgetown labor costs. And then he can go to GM and Chrysler and say, look, you know, their, their labor costs are higher. Now we can pull those conce- certain concessions But at back. the same time, he's under enormous pressure from the union to gain back the concessions that they've given. That's why, but legally, under the contract that he signed for bankruptcy through 2015, he has to... It will be compared with Georgetown. And that's one of the tricky things he has to deal with uh, now going forward is that the membership, the union's membership is in flux, and a lot of them are dis- disgruntled with the, with, the, with the wage cuts, and they want to see some of them come back. So he has to balance between what, what Sean says on the, on the bankruptcy side, but he also has to be- 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 appease his own members. So it's the tail of the ticker when you look at industrial relations outcomes, remuneration, you know, pay systems, security systems, and governance systems. Mm-hmm. And if the last, what, 10 years we've been in an industry restructuring, all of those things have been hit. Even when times were good, the UAW was given away 2 or 3% of its membership at the OEMs. Mm-hmm. And so how do you go to this non-union community and say, uh, we're going to get that back from you when the tail of the ticker says that ain't going to happen. We've got to start with a victory, and that, you know, sort of a wired victory, and that victory obviously is Numi, uh, right. where he's going to claim it's a victory over Toyota when it's actually a, a Tesla plant, a Tesla plant financed by the Obama administration in the, in the state of California. Well, I, th- I think President King, <clears throat> hard worker, intelligent yeah. guy, he is a transformational leader. There's no doubt about that in my mind. But does one guy turn that whole block of regional uh, organization, that whole block of local organizations, and move them away from these bread and butter outcomes. He's pretty ambitious. I mean, I re- read a story in uh, Metro Times this week where Jack Lessenberry told the, the anecdote that he came into the UAW, went to work at Ford Motor Company in the 1970s with the idea that he would become UAW president, which is pretty bold, and he did it. So I don't think he, I, I wouldn't underestimate him. I think I, I do agree he faces a lot of challenges, but he's, he's had a lot of chutzpah over the years. Oh, too. absolutely. This is a completely different president, I think, than the last two or three. This is a guy uh, who believes in organizing, who's led it since the late 90s was the first vice president of organizing. He is an in-the-street guy, and now he can put the whole power of the presidency of the UAW behind that effort. Which okay. is still considerable. I mean, Which he still is has considerable. And their alliance with the FLCIO is his good or better than it's ever been. So he'll have a lot of cooperation uh, and from the administration, and he knows how to use it. The focus won't be that much on the big three uh, and he's the past. And he's done a lot of outreach with or, or unions overseas. I think you're going to see a much, you know, over the going forward in the next two or three years, you're going to see a, more unions come together internationally to try and Well, now we're see, we are seeing the more intelligent leaders reaching out to Europe, Asia, even Central and South America. But if you go to a Japanese union, and say, uh, we're all into solidarity, will you please pressure your transplant in the United States to give us more work? <laughs> That's gonna go so far as to when that 
foreign manufacturer says, okay, we're bringing work to North America. Those are very fragile alliances. I think the biggest inroad for that was when DCX was on board with Daimler Chrysler and they had to put a UAW president on their supervisory board. In that situation, they could actually influence the direction of the company by saying there will be a certain level of content, there will be a certain level of union membership, biz, uh, membership development. I don't think that is as strong a connection now as it was, you know. But the Japanese unions also face uh, some serious issues of their own. Production in, Jap in Japan is going down permanently, and they're facing a loss of jobs, and they're concerned about the same issues. Their issues are beginning to align with those of the UAW. They're facing plant closings, they're facing loss of jobs, they're facing loss of production. So there are some areas where they can begin to line up, and I think to pressure companies like Toyota and Nissan. Well, let's face facts. I mean, without the UAW and its political network and all the chips they collected over 60 years in Washington, we wouldn't have been bailed out last year. Right. Every last red cent, $86 million, came to those companies because of the UAW. Mm -hmm. And that money, much of it, some of that cash still around, it has to be invested here and in Canada. Mm -hmm. Okay, not thrown around the world or to Opal like there's a lot of talk on. So that's a, that's a card you have to play. Um, they can't screw it up and look expensive and look like they're good. I mean, obviously it was very unpopular outside of Michigan and the rest of the country. And obviously they did use up every single chip they had. But it was their politicians that went out and got it mm -hmm. and brought it back. Uh, and there should be, they think, I think, some payback uh, in this agreement, at least on investment. A new right, product. I think, oh, I agree with Sean. I think yeah. one of the areas, one of the pressure points is going to be investment in Mexico. I think you're going to see some of those flows start to reverse in this, mm -hmm. in this new agreement. But there's, th there's going to be a, a top limit as to how many members they're going to gain as these plants come up and running. You know, there's, there's some limits to how many people the OEMs and the suppliers are going to put back on. One project to watch is that Ford has a small truck that they want to build somewhere. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the demands from the UAW is that truck be built in the United States. Well, you know, one of the differences right now and why the big three were loath to invest in small cars, they had to build them in the U.S. for cafe purposes, and they knew they'd lose money on every single one that they built. Mm -hmm. And so how do you go to the board of directors and say, hey, we need a billion dollars for a new car, and guess what? We're never going to make a dime on it. Well, those days are gone. Right. With the new labor agreements, and that's why Ford's going to build the new Focus here in Michigan, you can do it profitably. Right, and, Ford, and the UAW will give you a clean sheet labor agreement for any new plant that you want to build here, any new project you want to build. In There's the already States. worries at Ford, though, that with a more expensive agreement next year, and they figure themselves obviously to be the target, there's no parity agreement at Ford, no, no, no strike pledge, uh, that that focus, that break-even proposition under focus not only in Wayne plant but down in Louisville, where all the other models will be able, is in danger. But isn't that the, the very danger that the Detroit Three face is that, you know, the UAW is not the reason they collapsed, but it sure was a reason why It was they a collapsed. major factor. Without a question. major factor. Yes. So how, how does the union avoid going back to that? It's a political organization. You get elected to these positions and you don't get reelected by saying, hey, let's do what management well, wants to do. Solidarity House doesn't have the same kind of control over the regions and the locals that some other unions do because those regional directors are elected. And so there is a little bit of a cat and mouse game going on. The biggest problem is going to be we're still in an economy that's recovering. The OEMs are still very fragile. You're not going to get a strike at Chrysler because they have the interest arbitration agreement. But let me tell you, it would be the stupidest thing in the world 
to see a strike at any at any at the General Motors or Fords because they are still so fragile. They're going to have to use whatever they can in terms of negotiating prowess to craft a reasonable agreement, no work stoppage. Well, I think Ford King has already said that. He's indicated that he doesn't want to see Ford step out of line or be penalized because they were their health, the healthiest of the big three. He says he said during a conference last, last in May that he wanted to maintain some kind of parity among the three automakers. But Ford has the highest labor costs of anybody right now, does it not? Uh, I don't know how much. How a couple much bucks. Yeah, we see uh, uh, Georgetown at about $56 an hour, believe it or not. Uh, GM at about 58 Ford could be still trolling at about well, 60. That's great to compare it to Toyota, yeah. but I, you know, the up-and-comer these days is Hyundai, and no they're paying, well, like 18 bucks an hour at their you Alabama plant? You could get them plant? to 40 bucks an hour. With um, benefits with and benefits, everything, right. but yeah. that's a significant wage gap between it Honda, or, or Hyundai and uh, Toyota and, and the big No, there trade. is irritation that why are we constantly comparing our contract only with the most expensive of all the transplant facilities and nothing else? Well, this other company is the only sales gainer in the country this year overall, absolute, and that's Hyundai Kia. The Kia plant will be cheaper, obviously, than the Hyundai plant. And uh, there's start-out way to take seven-year growing to get to $24 an hour, right? Well, how, so, how do you go down to plants like that and say, yeah. join the UAW? I mean, it, how can, is it realistic for the union to even talk about increasing its membership at the transplants or suppliers? Well, I think there's going to be some pressure. I, I still think that Toyota is under pressure to cut labor costs in the United States and cut labor costs in Georgetown. And so when that, when they, and I don't think they can resist applying the pressure, and when the pressure comes down, then the union has an opportunity. Well, also, President King has, like I said, I really consider him to have the potential to be a transformational leader. If he can make the argument, and it's going to be hard for any company to buy, but if he can make the argument that partnering with the UAW means higher productivity, better safety, better quality, and not go back to some of the old game, like we're seeing them raise right now with Toyota, uh, at least it's not going to be out of the box a horrible reaction. But I don't know any company that's non-union is going to uh, saddle up to them and say, come on in. It's going to be very easy for that level of transformational leadership to disintegrate because of the politics of the union. And, you know, the membership is going to grow if the OEMs and the supply base grows. But they have a structural change there that means there's finite limits to it. So the UAW is looking at non-traditional areas. They're taking away that industry penetration and saying we're going to be the union of healthcare workers or we're going to be the union of the public sector. Well, they are for where they have that penetration. They already have major union competition there, and those other unions aren't going to give up the membership. It is a very very tall task. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Does the union grow with, as it's doing right now, casino workers, to, uh, teaching assistants, and state employees? Well, there's one other area they potentially could grow, and I think the probability of this is small, and that's a merger. Uh, we talked about it back in 1995 which, when Jokic was president. That ended in 2000 when the steelworkers and the machinists and the UAW couldn't get together. At $350,000, it's going to be a larger union saying 350,000 members, excuse me, 350,000 members saying we're going to take you over. And there's very few unions r right now that have the ability to do that. Maybe a non-traditional union like uh, communication workers might do it because they have the treasury, they have the taste for it. 
but do they want to bring on the problems of the auto industry? So. One potential major partner is probably United Steelworkers, which has done very well in terms of absorbing other unions. And I think but again, they're political organizations. Right, and it, it's exactly. not the same as a corporation saying, hey, let's buy equity in you or take you over. This is political operations that have got oh, to agree. No, and, and, and that's why it collapsed before, right? Completely right. different constitutions and ways completely. of electing leadership. Right. That's what stopped it last time. Um, some of the locals would have to be consolidated. Whose local would go and whose local would stay? Um, you know, Jokic wanted to be the head of the whole thing. That wasn't exactly popular. I mean, all these things remain right. big plus, roadblocks that probably won't let it happen. Plus you have the issue of the, yeah. of the union strike fund, which is still about a billion dollars, which how do you absorb that? Who gets then again, why can't we have a metal workers uh, federation in Washington uh -huh. you know, stacking up to some sort of a million members that would still have the same political clout, at least politically, okay? You know, Alan Ruther's gone now. I don't know what's going to happen there, uh, you know, to pull off the next miracle like last year, but they're going to need help. They're not big enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, they got six, 700,000 retirees and only 355,000 working, and that's... That's not pulling enough weight in the elections. They need to partner up in D.C., if anywhere. Well, they did reach out to the communication workers to sure. open office, kind of join forces on political issues. And I can't, and I can't see them. I, I think the U.S., the steel workers and the machinists probably would be open to an idea, depending on how I'm not so them. sure of that. If you look at the machinists, their membership has dwindled very, very small, and their, their uh, representation staff is very spread out. And the folks I've talked to at the steel workers, they've already uh, spent a big chunk of change with the rubber workers, the industrial right. workers, the paste, the paper workers. I don't know that they're looking to bring on one the, more. Well, I don't think there would be a, like Sean said, I don't think it'd be a, a true merger. But I think there are competitive unions like IUE, which is called a yellow dog union. To the IUE is now part of the C CWA. CWA. Right. Yeah. And then the, uh, the other would be the Teamsters. They were, they were having a tug of war over who's going to organize Honda. And the teasers were putting more resources in it. I mean, it's it's a it's a very competitive landscape, uh, and smaller one in in unions. Another question regarding uh, the finances sure. of the union. It it got this massive war chest here for paying retiree health care, the VBA, right. the very famous VBA. But what the big three loved about it is it bought them out of their obligation for what it was like sixty cents on the dollar. Is there right. going to be enough money in the VBA for the UAW to pay the health care of its retirees? That's, the, and that's the, one of the biggest issues around. I think one of the biggest issues facing King is how that how that plays out. I'm not. Well, it's more like fifty cents on the dollar, and obviously the Ford situation looks better today. Um, right, and even that um, even that puts a, puts right. stress on the system because you're in a situation where the Ford workers would con retirees would continue to get health care, while maybe the GM and Chrysler workers would not, which is a very difficult. Cuts are already planned or even happening, I think, on the Chrysler um, benefits. Or, or does it go exactly the opposite? And now the UAW has a massive investment mm -hmm. uh, fund that it can work with. And, and, I mean, theoretically, once it gets all the money in, it would have some $60 billion to well, go Well, theoretically, invest, right? I mean, that's true. You could carve out a small, you know, piece of the fund, 5% or something, and use it strategically to influence influence the growth, influence pro-union activities on some of these companies. I, I think that's probably feasible. Well, part feasible. of the actual plan for the VIVA, of course, you can't go only so far on that because the earnings on right, the fund exactly. have to pay for the health care. 
Right. So That's why I said it has to be a very small Wildly left on this stuff, unless the rate of return was there. Well, and that <laughs> potentially that could be there because they're funded essentially by automotive stocks. Mm-hmm. So as the automotive stocks recover, theirs will come up. They're managed by very, very bright people. But I th- though it's hard to predict what the future is going to be, I think the general consensus is going forward, you will see bigger cost sharing with the members in their retiree years. Right. Yeah, and I think that's pretty clear. That's the trend they're going to have to do is they're going to have to push down some cuts on the on the There's a possibility, uh, if at times return, obviously, to uh, put more money in it, um, a little extra legacy cost. Uh, the pressing point now is that we have thousands of workers uh, that aren't retired who are on layoff who are running out of these sub-benefits in TSP. And that's a big pressure on the union as we speak. Uh, is, but, um, but the numbers aren't yeah. that great at well, Ford. Well, there's our voting members. <laughs> well, with that, we're going to have to wrap this up. Very interesting discussion. We're going to have to have you guys back and talk about it because this issue is not going away. But yeah. Bob Sheravelli, Joe Sesney, Sean McElhin, and thanks so much for coming in and talking all about the UAW. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Very interesting discussion today. You know, if somehow the UAW can manage to crack the transplants, its future is assured. If not, it's going to be mighty rough going forward. You know, if you'd like to keep track of what's going on in the industry on a daily basis, check out AutoLine Daily. It's an eight-minute newscast of the latest developments in the global automotive industry that you can get every day online for free. Check out our website at autolinedetroit.tv to get all the details. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.